The Gist is brought to you by Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer. And save up to 80% compared to a postage meter. Sign up at Stamps.com and get a four-week trial and a $110 bonus offer when you use the promo code THEGIST. And by MSNBC. For the past 40 years, Chris Matthews has lived and breathed American politics. Chris explores today's issues with passion, compassion, and persistence. Non-stop. Watch him on Hardball with Chris Matthews, weeknights at 7 Eastern, only on MSNBC. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Monday, November 16th, 2015. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. This is our first show since the attacks on Paris, and we'll be discussing them with a counterterrorism expert who says they could very well turn out to have been a tactical mistake for ISIS. And in the spiel, we'll play selections from President Obama's press conference today, and we'll ponder the role of leaders in the face of a handful of motivated killers. The attacks were top of mind for the Democrats who debated on Saturday in Iowa, but there was also this moment an aside, really, that made me realize something about myself and my beliefs. Now, the statement from the debate that's getting the most attention is Hillary Clinton's rather risible assertion that she took Wall Street money because of 9-11. But in accusing her of being in the pocket of Wall Street, which is a fine and substantive charge, Bernie Sanders, who said he doesn't take Wall Street money, went on to make this assertion. The business model of Wall Street is fraud. That's what it is. And just in case you missed that, the Twitter version of the sentiment, a few minutes later, Senator Sanders expanded beyond 140 characters. Wall Street today has enormous economic and political power. Their business model is greed and fraud. It's a good applause line. Hey, it worked. You heard the applause. But it is wrong. It's wrong. It's as wrong as when a Republican says, what part of illegal immigrant don't you understand? Or the government is the problem. These are black and white pronouncements about institutions that contain multitudes. Yes, there is a lot of greed on Wall Street. Fraud too. The entire financial sector. But guess what? Any constituency that makes that kind of money can buy lots of power and rewrite laws to its own benefit. Listen, if florists made that kind of money and then donated to politicians to the degree that the financial industry does, we'd have major concerns with the floral industrial complex. Wall Street's no more unethical than any other capitalistic enterprise that's given wide latitude to be unethical, but their business model is not fraud. Sure, certain elements, way too many elements, have gotten away with way too much. Just like with government, there's way too many agencies that have squandered resources or been ineffective or unresponsive or underperforming. And this is what I realized about myself. I'm not a populist. I hate to admit it. I don't want to admit it. I guess it's in the name. I want to be populist. I like people. But the policies that are populist, like isolationism and closing down the borders and saying that Wall Street's business model is fraud, I just don't think the world works that way. On a related note, it took me a while to admit this about myself, not only am I not populist, I don't like the genre of music called power pop. It's like, hey, who doesn't like power pop? Every time I entered a Pandora or similar service, I would dial up power pop. I like the early stuff, like the Beatles and the Kinks, but that was the power pop what Teddy Roosevelt was to populism. Now all the new bands that are said to be power pop, the Shins, meh, Fountains of Wayne, meh, Jimmy Eat World, Snow Patrol, meh, meh. They've all got like one good song. The rest of it, meh. 
I like power to the people. I like, yeah, let's get the money out of politics. That's like Snow Patrol's Chasing Cars. But every other song on that album, that's more like anti-trade agreement or let's not intervene in this genocide. Let's let them fight it out for themselves. Meh. You know what? On a day like today, I will take meh. Meh is as good an emotion as I could hope for. In the spiel, we hear from the president, but now the Paris attacks. What were ISIS's motives and what those motives tell us about what comes next? With the holidays almost here, you don't have time to go to the post office. Let's be honest. Week ago, a couple weeks ago, before the holidays, you didn't have time either. But now you really don't have time. There's traffic. There's parking. There's everyone. Oh, my God, the crush of people who want the special stamps. So what I do and what I advise you to do is to get some really special stamps, stamps you make yourself using stamps.com. It's real postage. It's real post office, U.S. official U.S. postage postage, but you can buy and print that from your own computer and your own printer. Print postage for any letter or package the instant you need it, and then the mailman picks it up. If you want to, on the package, draw a snowman, draw a snowman if it makes you feel good, but we're talking about ease and convenience. Right now, sign up for Stamps.com and use my special promo code, The Gist, for a special offer, a four-week trial, a $110 bonus offer, which includes postage in a digital scale. Don't wait. Go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in The Gist. That's Stamps.com. Enter The Gist. Immediately after the attacks in Paris, their president, Francois Hollande, referred to the barbarism as an act of war. Yesterday on Meet the Press, White House Deputy National Security Advisor Ben Rhodes agreed, but went further. Uh, The fact is, Chuck, we've been at war with ISIL for some time. Which got me to wondering how ISIS conceptualized this state of affairs. Well, joining me now is Professor Max Abrams. He's with the Political Science Department at Northeastern University. He writes on terrorism matters, such papers as Does Terrorism Pay? An Empirical Analysis and Deterring Terrorism, A New Strategy. Hi, thanks for joining us, Max. Thanks for having me on your show. Absolutely. So what would ISIS say? Would they say, yes, this is a whole new front in our war? Or would they look at this as uh, but a continuation of, say, the Charlie Hebdo attacks of 10 months ago? In the wake of these kinds of attacks, many, many observers claim almost to have direct insight into the minds of the terrorists. We say, oh, this is exactly what the terrorists want. And so we can't do this or that. Think about it. If France were to respond to these attacks by saying, you know what, we don't want to be attacked anymore. We're going to halt our bombing campaign in Syria. We're going to leave the Middle East entirely. People would then say, you know what, that's exactly what Islamic State wanted to achieve. They coerced the French into ceasing their military operations. Alternatively, if France does the exact opposite, if it digs in its heels, becomes less conciliatory, goes on the offensive, and uses military force, especially in Syria, you hear other pundits say, ah, that's exactly what Islamic State wants. It wants to expose the French as being barbaric. It wants to get them bogged down in in the Muslim world and to exacerbate relations between uh, the Muslims in the West, etc. The reality is, is that people tend to say that the motives of the terrorists 
are whatever the observable effects of their actions are. If you were to look at the rhetoric, though, in terms of what Islamic State claims to want, Mm -hmm. it claims not to want to provoke the West so much into invading Syria, but rather Islamic State is saying that if you do invade Syria, we're going to attack you. And so Islamic State is trying to blame its attacks against the French, their intervention in Syria. And similarly, Islamic State is trying to say that that plane, that Russian plane a couple weeks ago, was shot down uh, because of Russian escalation there. However, you know, as your uh, listeners uh, probably know, the stated uh, goals of the terrorists are actually very, very unreliable. But you point out that a good way to defeat them ultimately might not be to dissuade the very people who are in power at ISIS right now, but to sort of cut out their legs and not and to hurt their recruiting. We've heard that this is going to be great for recruiting. This shows that they're the biggest, baddest guys on the block and that they can bring the West to their knees. What do you think about that? I think it's totally wrong. I think that there's a really prominent, uh, strong, conventional wisdom, which goes something like this. Islamic State is such a juggernaut. It uses violence so savagely and then broadcasts it over social media. And that uh, grows the membership size of the group. And there are power in numbers. And so because the group uses violence so effectively to increase its membership size, uh, you know, we're all in very big trouble. However... The reason why the conventional wisdom is wrong is because it focuses only on the recruitment effect without also taking into account what I call the attrition effect. For there to be an overall rise in the membership size, the the, the recruitment has to surpass the attrition rate. And I guarantee you in the next few months, Islamic State's attrition rate will exceed its recruitment rate because precisely as that, you know, as that violence recruits some members, it also leads the, the vast majority of the world to team up against this group and to start eliminating ISIS members. And we're already seeing that uh, in the immediate aftermath of the Paris attack. You know, France dropped an unprecedented payload on Raqqa, 20 different munitions. Uh, now there's unprecedented uh, intelligence sharing between the Russians, the Americans, the French, and the broader international uh, anti-ISIS coalition. In a way, I would say that Islamic State sacrificed the caliphate in order to commit the, the France attack. What's more important for them, the actual land that they want to hold, the actual state part of the Islamic State, or the propaganda arm? The incentive structure of terrorist groups is very difficult to pin down. They seem to simultaneously hold all sorts of goals, even ones which are contradictory. Mm-hmm. But there's no question that Islamic State is evolving. It's evolving away from the caliphate to a more internationally-minded group. And so over the past few weeks, we've seen Islamic State expand its theater of operation, you know, well outside of uh, Iraq and Syria. They've struck Lebanon. They've struck Turkey. They've struck France. They have, may have brought down the, the plane in the Sinai. I expect more of this to happen. Uh, if you look at the rhetoric of Islamic State, it's talking more and more about committing international attacks. Just this morning, 
They released a video about their intent on striking Washington. Basically, what we're observing is a paradox. As the group becomes weaker in its stronghold, it appears to be stronger because its operations are more international. But it seems to me that when judged just on the battlefield, where you have soldier against soldier, taking one of their fighters for the loss of one of your fighters is a net zero. That's not a fight they're winning. But when you talk about killing civilians, where even a dozen civilians or 17 civilians in the January Charlie Hebdo strike can cause the entire world to look. And it doesn't matter that NATO dropped bombs and killed hundreds of ISIS fighters. They took 17 civilians. It seems that they're winning. It seems like the calculation of the civilian battlefield is just an easier war for them to win. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, they, they call them soft targets for a reason. They're, they're easier to strike. Uh, they're, by definition, uh, you know, defenseless. I mean, I think that Islamic State is going to uh, increasingly strike soft targets in the West. What happened in France is really a nightmare situation because, basically, a lot of people were described as alarmist for fearing this wave of foreign jihadis going to conflict zones like in Syria training, getting weapons, building networks, and then returning home to uh, basically use their military skills on cafes and uh, soccer stadiums and, and, and defenseless restaurants. And that's exactly what we're seeing is essentially we're seeing them use military tactics uh, against civilian targets. So, of course, the death toll is going to be quite high. All right. So my last question is this. You have said that you believe that the tax on France was a tactical mistake by the Islamic State, yet you also said we should expect more of them, more bloodshed of soft targets. How do you see this playing out in the uh, months and years ahead? I think that Islamic State, as it currently exists in Iraq and Syria, is unsustainable. I think that it has too many enemies, uh, many enemies from the air, as well as, frankly, many enemies on the ground. We often talk about the international coalition, and we tend to emphasize the air power, but also on the ground, Islamic State is in trouble. Uh, the Kurdish fighters outnumber Islamic State. The Shia fighters outnumber Islamic State. And so I think that this group is increasingly going to come under duress. And the only way that it can survive is essentially to decentralize, to hide, and to make its target selection more internationally diffuse. And so, again, there's this paradox where Islamic State is being weakened in its stronghold, but it will appear stronger to many observers because its attacks will become more global. Max Abrams is a professor of public policy in the Department of Political Science at Northeastern University. He's published extensively on the outcome of terrorism, its motives, and the implications for counterterrorism strategy. Thank you, Dr. Abrams. Thank you so much for having me. For the past 40 years, MSNBC's Chris Matthews has lived and breathed American politics, from serving as President Jimmy Carter's speechwriter to being a top advisor to Speaker of the House Tip O'Neill. Matthews knows how Washington works from the inside out. That is why he doesn't back down. He asks tough questions, and he gets to the heart of today's issues. Nonstop on Hardball. Weeknights at 7 Eastern, only on MSNBC. And now the spiel, parsing the president. President Obama spoke from Turkey today about the horrors of Paris. He was fiery. He was a bit combative. He took on his critics. 
some of them seem to think that if I were just more bellicose in expressing what we're doing, that that would uh, make a difference. Well, when you aspire to be the commander in chief, using words to appear tough is really the only weapon you've got. When you are the commander in chief, the weapons you've got include 9,000 tanks, 41,000 armored fighting vehicles, 5,000 fighter jets, and attack fixed wing aircraft, 20 aircraft carriers. And still, Jim Acosta from CNN felt he needed to ask, Why can't we take out these bastards? As the president answered, um, for all the reasons I've laid out in the past 30 minutes of this press conference. Of course, he said it not through phrases like, we're going to smoke them out or dead or alive, but he said it in his own way. There has been an acute awareness on the part of my administration from the start that it is possible for an organization like ISIL that has such a twisted ideology and has shown such extraordinary brutality and uh, complete disregard for uh, innocent lives, that they would have the capabilities to potentially strike in the West. And because thousands of fighters have flowed from the West and are European citizens, a few hundred from the United States, but uh, far more from Europe, that when those foreign fighters returned, it posed a significant danger. Now, that kind of phrasing gives candidates like Chris Christie an opening to say that Obama is living in a fantasy world. And if the tone wasn't enough, there was the fact that a day before the Paris attack, Obama said that ISIS was contained. Now, that's the sort of statement that can be easily misinterpreted, especially if you don't make it clear that you're talking about ISIS's status as a fighting force vis-a-vis the possession of territory in the Mideast. But the thing is, Obama did make it abundantly clear that that's what he was talking about. George Stephanopoulos question, ISIS is gaining strength, aren't they? Obama answer. I don't think they're gaining strength. What is true is is that from the start, our goal has been first to contain, and we have contained them. They have not gained ground in Iraq, and in Syria, they'll come in, they'll leave. Uh, but you don't see the systematic march by ISIL uh, across the terrain. The problem for the president, for us, for humanity, is that ISIS is two things. Actually, there are a few things. They're propagandists, they're a brand. But for our purposes, let's concentrate on the two things they are. One, they are an army, an army that wins and loses battles, an army that gains and loses territory. And in this regard, what Obama was clearly talking about in that clip, their territory, their reach that has been degraded. ISIS lost the Syrian border town of Sinjar this weekend. But as I mentioned to Professor Abrams, who we just heard, the wins and losses on the battlefield are entirely different from the wins and losses off of it. Because just as ISIS is an army, so too are they a band of serial killers, spree shooters, bombers, flat-out murderers, not war criminals, not found guilty at the Hague murderers, straight-up garden-variety, standard-definition murderers, murderers in cities that are not at war, murderers of citizens whose offense is that they are citizens. And stopping a motivated murderer whose target is anyone, whose objective does not even include escaping, stopping that murderer is not like defeating an army. It is very, very hard. That's why we can't just take down the bastards. President Obama knows this full well, by the way. When you're talking about the ability of a handful of people with not uh, wildly sophisticated 
military equipment, weapons, uh, who are willing to die, they can kill a lot of people, and preventing them from doing so is challenging for every country. Perhaps at this moment, words like challenging do not rouse. Foxnews.com's headline of the press conference is President Obama labels the slaughter a setback. Now here's the full quote. The terrible events in Paris were obviously a terrible and sickening setback. And yet, as soon as the president was done speaking, Fox News's Bill Hemmer, who the network regards as kind of a straight shooter, not an opinion guy, but Bill Hemmer said this to his audience. President Obama has made it quite clear in that Q&A that lasted more than 45 minutes that he has accepted there are evils in this world and evils in place like Paris, France. And this is something that we all must face today. It's a reality in which the world we live. If you're at home wondering with your own set of anger and your own set of fears about what could happen next, you are not alone because that's precisely what you feel here in Paris, France. And if you're waiting for clarification on your feelings through that Q&A, you weren't going to get it. And that's the difference, right? Some hear Obama and they think he's measured. Some hear him and think weak or think he's failed to clarify my feelings or fear, I guess. But this fight isn't about Obama's tone. It's about his actions. Now, he claims his critics offer no better plans. Actually, critic and Senator Lindsey Graham has a concrete plan. He wants 10,000 troops to go into Iraq. By the way, Lindsey Graham, after loudly championing this policy to the exclusion of almost every other sentence at the first three presidential debates, has polled so low, so non-existent, in fact, that he was not invited to the fourth presidential debate. So that's one proposal. Seems extremely unpopular with the American people. We do live in a democracy after all. So President Obama's critics use words like weak. The critics pester him and other Democrats about their avoidance of the phrase radical Islam. And I suppose when you're not the commander-in-chief, all you have a command of is words. You can do no more than to lob spitballs. When you are commander-in-chief, you could lob bombs and missiles, not just lob, but aim them at, say, convoys of oil trucks, which is what the U.S. did today, but hasn't done before. So that indicates that the gloves are off, ergo, the gloves were, to some extent, on. It's a conundrum. I do not agree with most of Obama's critics. I do believe they offer simple solutions. Yet I am not entirely sure that he has done everything he absolutely can. But we're getting there now. The final truth is that no leader or world leaders can make all of the world's innocent people invulnerable to attack. The best that any leader can do is on the one hand mitigate, but on the other hand talk honestly about the dangers of the world. And that's it for today's show. Andrea Salenzi produces The Gist. Andy Bowers is the executive producer. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash Slate Gist. Follow us on Twitter at Slate Gist, or there's a daily newsletter. We'll send it right to your inbox. It comes whenever the show is posted. You can even play the show right from this newsletter. It's at slate.com slash Gist email. Every Monday, we play a song from They Might Be Giants. So each week, the band puts out a new recording under the aegis of Dial-A-Song. Today, the name of the They Might Be Giants song could be taken as an affirmation. So you know what? I choose to take it as an affirmation. Here's They Might Be Giants with Daylight. 
Daylight brings. Let's see what the daylight brings. 